if parenthood came with a GPS, it would most likely just say recalculating. Join Yulandi Becker and her guest experts Wednesdays at 11 a.m. for Bump and Beyond, the show about pregnancy and babies, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is that time of the week again, Wednesday at 11, and you're on Bump and Beyond with me, Yulandi Becker. It's been now approximately three months that I've been doing it, and it's been so much fun to be part of this community and to complain basically every week about parenthood. And on that note, before I start my complaining this week, I wanted to also just get the message out there that I actually love being a parent. It really is one of the hardest things to do, but it's also one of the most rewarding things to do. And I often am in awe of my children, of how funny they can be, how empathetic they can be, and also for me how they can so quickly get mad at me, but equally as quick they can get over it. And I think we all can learn from that. And as we're moving into the month of love (laughs) properly, that we can share that love and share um, that happiness. On today's show, as always, all about parenting, I've noticed in the news a little bit that measles, officially we have a measles outbreak in South Africa. And I thought this is a very good topic to uh, talk about as I am exceptionally um, like you know, pro-vaccination and for spreading the news of vaccination and getting your child vaccinated. Please um, feel free to make a tick every time I say vaccination today. That's going to be fun. But yes, so today I am going to be joined by expert Anshin Fester. More on her just now. But I want you, as always, to be talking with us. And um, you can send a telegram on 010. 140 3020. SMS us on 34519. Or you can send us an email at instudio at What do I want to know? I don't want to know if you're vaccinating your child or not. I am assuming you are. But how was the vaccinations with your baby? Did they have severe um, like effects afterwards? Was it easy peasy? Did your child cry a lot? Share with us a little bit of that insight of how that experience was. Where do you go to vaccinate your child? Do you go to the local disc game and get your child vaccinated or where do you um, go? I would like to know that because, as I said, I am assuming you are vaccinating your child. Measles is one of the most contagious diseases humans have ever faced. An ancient disease. It was described as early as the ninth century. That's crazy. There's nothing I think. I think maybe... There's not a lot of things that's still in existence that can be living that long. So it's actually insane that it is. It became obviously a lot more widespread as global exploration increased in the 16th centuries. And regions of the world without previous exposure to measles were particularly vulnerable. Globally, 
the mortality rates remained high with, with approximately 30 million cases and over 2 million deaths occurring each year. And that's what we're going to be talking with my expert about today is vaccinations. Obviously, a little bit about measles as well and why you should be doing that. But that's what, that's what we'll be covering. Join us throughout the show. <laughs> this is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies. 101.9 megahertz of life. If you've just joined me, you are on 101.9 High FM with me, Yulandi Becker, on Bump and Beyond. And our parenting topic for today is vaccinations and why you should be vaccinating your child and the effects of it. Because, as I mentioned before, the mortality um, rates are still quite high for measles all around the world. Between 2000 and uh, to the year 2000 and 2020, measles vaccination prevented an estimated 31.7 million deaths worldwide. So I'm on that bandwagon of wanting to save so many lives. In South Africa, though, between October and December last year, the NICD tested 2,552 samples for measles antibodies, of which 14% tested positive. Measles is a highly contagious disease caused by a virus. The most common symptoms are fever, a rash, and it looks like small flat spots all over bo- uh, the body, um, but it do not, it doesn't form blisters or anything. So it's not like chicken pox or anything like that. Other symptoms can include a cough um, or a runny nose, and the virus can cause severe complications. Things like blindness, diarrhea, and small children, especially children under the age of two years, are most at risk. So it is important to vaccinate, but for that reason, I am not the expert here. I am speaking to my expert guest today. So with me today, I've got Anshin Fischter, who is, and she's got a mouthful of things that she's an expert in, just FYI. Um, so first of all, she's a mother of four, so I think that already gives her, and, uh, and two of those are, that's a set of twins that she has. But she's also a SA certified lactation consultant, but more importantly for today's topic, a SA certified perinatal educator. Hello, Anshan. Thanks Hello. for joining me today. Hi, Yolandi. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, so my own experience with vaccination with my children, to be honest, I am so, I don't know what you call it, so convinced about vaccines that I didn't even think about it. I knew I had to do it, and I set reminders on my phone, and I did it without any problems. And to be honest, my kids had minimal like effects or anything people sometimes gave me some tips of what you have to do and 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 but my kids they were pretty easy and your four 
So I'm a little bit different, to be honest. So as a nurse and a midwife, I also felt I needed to vaccinate my kids and it wasn't really a negotiable. However, I was quite nervous to do it. So, and I think that's quite common. I think, um, and the fact is I have now a 15 year old who's just been away on a three week bush camp and I was also nervous to send him away on the bush camp. So maybe it's my personality, <laughs> but I think it's quite no, no, uh, quite normal to be a little bit anxious about vaccinating and I think there's a lot of information out there in the media some that's true some that's false um that that adds to our anxieties and really can make us a little bit wobbly about where about choosing to vaccinate I I mean I agree with you but what were you nervous about was it the vaccine itself or was it the actual needle because that part I have to say with a small child I was also nervous but I can also say that my kids still, every year we go for the flu vaccine. And vaccinating a baby is much easier than vaccinating a seven-year-old. Or luckily by now they know it's easy peasy. But when the... My daughter ran away from the doctor when she was seven, like screaming down the hall, like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so in for future reference for all out, uh, you out there, if you go at seven for your child to get, make sure they do it first. Don't let them see you get it. You think you're being brave and showing them that's easy. As soon as they see that needle, they don't want it stuck in their arm. <laughs> Maybe it is much easier vaccinating a baby. <laughs> so... Let's start with um, the very important question of how do vaccines work? Okay, so that's a good question. And I almost want to say, take a step back from the last three years, because I feel like we also over discussing COVID vaccines and we, we, I feel like there's sort of an emotional temperature that rises in the room when we start talking about COVID vaccines. So I, I, I don't know if it's possible, but if you can just step back from that emotion a little bit. Um, and, and, you know, let's, let's backtrack to infant vaccine. So first of all, a vaccine contains an inactive or a weakened part of a particular organism, and that is called an antigen. And when that is introduced to the body, it triggers an immune response. So some of the newer vaccines actually contain the blueprint for producing antigens rather than actually the antigen itself. So um, on one hand, that's seen as safer because we're not in introducing viral or bacterial material. But then what happens in the body is once that antigen is introduced, an antibody is produced to match that antigen. So a little bit like a lock and key. And then once that happens, the body produces some memory cells so that next time that pathogen enters the body, the body is ready for attack. So the antibodies kill the pathogens and the memory cells hang around and they're, they need to be on the alert for the next exposure. So multiple exposures to a pathogen will obviously lead to a faster response. And so that's pretty much what we're doing with vaccines. We're introducing a little bit of something that's very dangerous so that the body gets a bit of a heads up um, in terms of future uh, exposure to an organism that can cause disease. And I mean, obviously I did some research and I thought I knew a lot about vaccines, but I did do a little bit of research. And to be honest, and I mentioned that to you earlier as well, I was actually 
amazed. Especially, I told you guys earlier how old measles is actually in, in existence. Obviously, they didn't, you know, develop the vaccine in the ninth century, or else maybe it would have been gone already if it was invented in the ninth century. But in the end of the day, it is so impressive, this vaccine, because it's also different vaccines. I realized if you just look at what you mentioned, the COVID vaccine and the measles vaccine is that the measles vaccine is, first of all, if you get both of the shots before your two years, you get those. It's the first shot and then a booster shot. You have, a, you're basically 95% covered with it. And which I thought was, wow, that's really impressive in comparison to the COVID vaccine. And also it lasts. Forever, basically. Exactly. Yeah, and so you just need those two boosters and then you're set for life. So make sure you get that. And I mean, that's just, I mean, there's a lot of other vaccines that kids should get. But why should we? Because there's always the theories of why should we get vaccinated? And then people are like, but if your kids are vaccinated, why are you worried about my kid not being vaccinated? Mm. So super important question. And I actually want to... I want to focus in on polio briefly to answer that. So when I was growing up, uh, we spent a little bit of my growing up years in Central Africa. And I remember asking my parents about um, people that we saw with disabilities and asking them, like, why is that? Why can't that man walk? And why, why is that man sitting like that? And, and many of those permanent disabilities were because of polio. So in the early 1900s, polio was a worldwide disease. And then by 1950, two vaccines were um, produced. And then sort of in the more developed world, those were, um, you know, rolled out much faster. We were as a continent a little bit behind. But in August 2020, the African continent was certified wild polio virus free. And that is because of the vaccine. Okay, so that is ideally where we would be headed with all vaccines, but we're not living in a perfect world with perfect, perfect bodies and uh, everybody that thinks alike. So we're not going to manage that with every communicable disease. However, vaccines are the most successful ways to eradicate disease. But some of the factors that affect how effective they are is obviously how fast an organism mutates. So, for example, we know with a flu vaccine, the the um, the content of the vaccine is changed slightly every year to match what is circulating as far as the type of flu goes. And then the movement of people has a significant impact and the number of people vaccinated will also have an impact on on whether a vaccine is successful. I'm already, even questions are coming in. So you guys are clearly also interested in this. Let's get to it just now. This is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you've just joined me, Yulandi Becker on 101.9 High FM. And where have you been? Because we've been talking about vaccinations and the importance of it. And I am joined by Anshin Versteyr, who is, once again, is a certified perinatal educator to talk to us about the vaccinations. And it is fascinating. And again, I'm a super ambassador for vaccines for a reason. Science. It's been in existence for quite some time. <laughs> so, Anshan, 
he was just now mentioning to us as well why it's important to get vaccinated and all the different different reasons why we should be. But someone has sent in a question for us. Hey, Yolandi, should my daughter-in-law, who is seven months pregnant, be vaccinated against measles now? She has been vaccinated, but apparently as protection for the baby when it's born. Should she be vaccinated now? So as I understand the guidelines, the um, the measles booster vaccine is not recommended in pregnancy, but rather before pregnancy or after pregnancy. Uh, what I would encourage your daughter-in-law is to um, get the support that she can get to get off to a good breastfeeding start. Because if she does have immunity from that previous vaccine that she received, she will be passing some of those, some of those already um, ready uh, antibodies over to the baby. Um, so, so for her circumstance, um, breastfeeding would be the best way to get started. And then as soon as the little one reaches the age where the measles vaccine, um, is recommended on the road to health, um, program, then to vaccinate. When is the measles? It's six and 12 months. Oh, okay. Um, I was just, no, I was just wondering also because there is quite a few different kind of vaccines that need to happen. If you look at that list, I always like, Sure, that's a lot, but some of them are like together. It's not like you're getting like seven injections at one. It's like a combination one. And it, it also depends on whether you're following what's called the EPI. So the expanded program of immunization or a private schedule. Um, and sometimes you can follow the combination depending on uh, the clinic that you attend, what um, vaccine stocks they receive and what you would prefer and what you're happy to pay for. And if you are getting, um, stock from the Department of Health, those, the, the actual vial of a vaccine is free. So if you go into a private clinic, you would pay for the appointment and for the administration thereof, but you don't pay for the actual container or the vial of the vaccine. Whereas if you go for private stock, you would pay for the vial as well. So there's a little bit of variability between the two schedules, depending on which one you're following. But if you're now following the private um, schedule, does that mean there's a lot more that you're covering or is it just one or two more or... It's just one or two more that you cover. Oh. So the one that probably stands out for most of us is chickenpox. Um, so that's not yet on the EPI schedule, but it's on the private schedule. Oh. Um, so okay. that's one example. Is chickenpox a thing still these days? I don't know. I've never had chickenpox. <laughs> I've had chickenpox. But I can tell you what's not a thing is to take your kids to the chickenpox party. Yeah. <laughs> so Please. that's like not okay. <laughs> So as as a nurse midwife, I like they totally like hyperventilate when I hear of chickenpox parties. I've only read about it in the media. I've actually never heard. Like my kids have never been maybe invited to it. Maybe it's a US thing. Maybe it's not maybe, a thing. Maybe. So maybe we shouldn't say anything about it in case we plant any ideas. Yeah, don't do it. That's what we're saying. Don't do it. But actually, and a little bit on that, Yulandi, is that um. There in the US alone, there's 10,000 hospital admissions a year due to chickenpox. Oh, uh, advanced infections or complications. So, and whereas there's not 10,000 hospital admissions per year due to chickenpox vac vaccines, so going to a chickenpox party is not such a good idea. No, that, clearly not. Uh, to any sickness party, I feel is not a good idea. <laughs> 
Um, so, but there is quite a few vaccines that babies obviously have to get. We've, uh, literally, Anshan has the list here in front of her, me. And, and um, I have to say that I forgot because I've been, my kids are nine and 11. I've forgotten all these things. I, I did go to, my daughter had to get a booster for something last year. I can't remember what it was. Sorry that I'm not more knowledgeable on the names of the things that they have to eventually get. Tetanus and diphtheria. Thanks. So someone, see why I have experts with me so that they know these things. Um, but again, for me, um, I kind of just went with the most. It's not nice when your baby cries when they put the needle in. I mean, that needle is really tidy these days. I mean, again, science is really remarkable what they come up with. And, but is it, um, is the baby, is the baby able to handle all these vaccines? I feel they can, but is it? So, um, it's a good question. And I suppose that if I had to sit down and talk about why I was a little bit nervous about vaccinating my children, that's probably one of the things that I considered we, I felt like I was exposing them to so much. So if we get back to what I explained about, only a little part of the virus or the bacteria or a weakened or a dead part is given to the baby. So we've got multiple, and this sounds silly, but let's say it like this. We've got multiple dead parts um, <laughs> given to your baby. But if you go to a family gathering or a children's party or um, perhaps you spend an afternoon in a creche, you will be exposed to multiple whole viruses, um, in their full form and in their aggressive form. So I think we forget what the body is exposed to on a daily basis. Now, where my analogy is not exactly accurate is that when you go to a function, and please don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying you mustn't go to family gatherings, <laughs> okay, please, or children's parties. Always a balance in life. <laughs> So I'm not saying that, but where my analogy doesn't completely hold up is that when you go to a function, there are other defenses in place where one body, those defenses will make sure the virus doesn't enter the body and the other person, the defenses will fail and the virus will enter the system. So I'm talking about mucous membrane, those little hairs in your respiratory tract that sweep the organism back out. Whereas with a vaccine, we are directly introducing it into the body. So it's not like, okay, if you go to the party, you may be going to get it. You're not going to get it. With a vaccine, it's put into the body. So that's where my analogy doesn't hold up. But over the years, multiple vaccines at the same time has been shown to be safe and they've been shown to be effective. The other benefits of that is that your baby's getting fewer injections over a time period. Plus, we are exposing a little one to more uh, immune protection in a shorter space of time. Whereas if we had to do them separately and more spread out, it would maybe take two or three years. Whereas in South Africa, for example, we, we managed to expose little ones to the significant infectious diseases in the space of 12 months. I know that there are some after 12 months and there's boosters after 12 months but yeah. we we hit most of them by 12 months which is a massive benefit and i mean i really and i think that's a really a good perspective to kind of remind yourself of is like again i'm going to remind you of the stats that i said earlier 30 million lives are saved so that's and there's there's let's face it also a lot that can happen before death mm. of very ill children and if i just think of all the people that I know, when their kids start going to school, they are sick. 
And that's just the things that we can't vaccinate for. Imagine we didn't have the vaccines. Exactly. How, how many ill kids we would have and how many. And then if, if you've ever had a child in hospital, I'm, oh, just drawing blood from a baby or a child is one of the worst things that I can wish for any parent to go through. It is hor- I can remember with my daughter when she was about two years old, she had to get grommets in the end. And she, I, I literally, they to, told me to leave and they were holding down my daughter to get blood out of her arm. And I was like, it was, it was not a nice experience. And if you could prevent something like that with a vaccine. Absolutely. Why not? So by the way, it does sound like you need a bit of trauma debriefing. <laughs> but um, just if we like take that big stat and, and look at the South African statistics, the, the immunization program prevents 2.5 million deaths per wow. year. So that's very significant, but that also means that a big chunk of potential deaths is in South Africa. Um, but something just to keep in mind is that the, the, a baby is born with an immature immune system. And if a baby was born with a mature immune system, we'd have many fewer pregnancies because moms and babies would mount immune responses against each other. So a baby cannot have a very strong immune system at birth because we wouldn't be able to get to a 40-week gestation with most babies. So, yeah, which is super important, but it means so the baby's got a little bit via the placenta and then the type of birth has an impact on immunity. And then, and obviously my lactation side, I want to punt the breastfeeding side, but breastfeeding has got a massive impact on supporting the immune system while it's maturing, but the immune system only matures between the age of four and seven. So closer to the age of seven. And for those of you who've got bigger families like me, you will know that as the contact with schools and play groups and whatever increases, the number of infections that come home increases. And then once they reach six, seven, the number of illness periods with children with healthy immune systems tend to decrease. So your first few years are your highest risk years. Um, and it's also the years that babies, infants are most vulnerable to infectious diseases. Plus, the transfer rate amongst children is much higher than amongst adults. No, because they can't wash their hands all the time. They have to touch you always in the face. Okay. <laughs> they like kissing you with an open mouth. Yeah, and sharing, <laughs> sharing all sorts of attachments. <laughs> it's nice, but it comes with its risks. Exactly. <laughs> Um, if you've just joined us, you are on 101.9 High FM with me, Yulandi Becker, and I'm ch- chatting today with Anshan Fischstadt about vaccinating your child and vaccines and all you need to know about that. We've now reiterated the fact that there's a couple of vaccines that you have to go through in that first 12 months, especially, but it gives your child a good immunity and, 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 but Again, we also said it is sometimes a little bit stressful to go for those shots, um, especially if you see the needle. And your baby is, I, I don't know if I've ever had it where my kid didn't cry or scream afterwards, but it's quick and, and it's over. But is there something that you can give them either beforehand or afterwards that can help a little bit with to make it a little bit more comfortable for them? So there's nothing that should be given systemically before the time. So at one point... Families were being just encouraged to give, uh, for example, paracetamol like an hour before the appointment. That is not good practice. So it doesn't support what the immune system needs to do 
when the antigen is introduced into the body. So don't give anything like paracetamol, neurofen, syrup, or whatever, um, ibuprofen syrup before the time. Um, however, some clinics recommend a, a local anesthetic cream at the injection site. This numbs the skin, and some small studies do show that the pain response is better. But of course, remember, it numbs the skin, and it doesn't numb the muscle fibers where the actual um, vaccine is injected into. And often that's, apart from the initial prick, it's the the you know, the, the bulge of the little bit of fluid that's mm. into the muscle that's quite painful and burns. Um, so you won't necessarily be able to do anything about that, but that local anesthetic can sometimes help. Then afterwards, if there are, if there's irritability, fever, you can give, for example, paracetamol. But keep in mind that what happens afterwards is the body saying, I got it. I spotted it and I'm working on it. So as parents, we're often very frantic and nervous about fevers, but fevers are actually intended to kill what's what what has been introduced into the body and why some babies and toddlers have higher fevers than others, we don't know. But a fever, we don't want to ignore it and we don't want to just allow it to go on and increase um, to dangerous levels. But fevers are a message to us that the body has spotted that something's going on and the body is responding. Um, but obviously, if your baby has a fever or is particularly irritable, you can give some paracetamol. Some families find that some homeopathic preparations work, um, one particular that has chamomile in it. Yeah, so you can make use of that. But usually the first 24 hours, they're the most irritable and then it tends to lessen. Mm. So so now you said the word <laughs> homeopathic. <laughs> and uh, we even had a conversation about this beforehand. And because it is something that comes up time and time again, again, everyone knows this is my side hustle. So I do deal with kids um, and parents on a quite a regular basis with my business. And one of those things that come up now time and time again, again, is homeopathic vaccines and if you could see me you would see my air quotes <laughs> around the vaccine part of that you also need some debriefing <laughs> but is there a difference um between the the list of vaccines that we receive and we should be getting or is it uh, and a homeopathic vaccine yes there is and so first to say that um homeopathy is the principle of homeopathy is treating like with like. So to give you a, a little example, belladonna is a plant that is severely toxic when ingested. And one of the side effects that it produces is gastrointestinal symptoms. So if we apply, if we make use of a belladonna in homeopathy, it is diluted extremely until the, the molecules of belladonna are no longer measurable in the homeopathic, um, medication. And then the symptoms, the gastrointestinal symptoms in the person are treated with this significantly dilute um, preparation, which means that we can't use the word homeopathic vaccine because the principle of a vaccine is not treating non-existent, the principle of homeopathy is not treating non-existent symptoms, okay? So when we introduce a vaccine, it's to a baby that doesn't yet have measles or a baby that doesn't yet have polio. So it's a misnomer, first of all, to call it a vaccine. And then secondly, 
there there aren't any well-designed, reliable studies that show that homeopathic vaccines produce a good antigen antibody response, and that's the point of a vaccine. Yeah. Okay, so we cannot we cannot call it the same thing. And then I think, and I just want to say here that that I've made use of homeopathic remedies with my children, and I found that some of the remedies are useful. But here I want to say. The British Homeopathic Association, Australian Register of Homeopaths, uh, says that uh, homeopathic vaccines should not be recommended as a substitute for conventional immunization. And the same goes for the South African Department of Health. Um, there was a, a notice put out in the Government Gazette. So you should not replace a, a vaccine with a homeopathic vaccine. It is not the same thing and it cannot, it is not a replacement. And the research supports that. Great. Craig, I'm starting to dislike you a little bit. He's now again telling me the whole time we're running out of time and, 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 but more on this thing, Craig, just now after this break. <laughs> This is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies, 101.9 megahertz of life. As we are slowly running out of time on my show today, um, I want to remind you that this show and all my other shows and those of the other presenters on HiFM are available as podcasts on our website, highfm.com. So if you've missed it, or you want to just go listen again to all my experts that I'm speaking to, to know what is good and what is not good, then go and have a look at highfm.com. If you've just joined us, you are listening to Bump and Beyond with me, Yulandi Becker. And today I am speaking to expert Anshin Verstad about vaccinations. And it as always, has been a really, really fascinating discussion, I have to say. I think I could have two shows about vaccines, but I could have another one. But as we are running out of time, maybe I should stop speaking. Um, again, Anshan, we've now mentioned different things about the homeopathic vaccines and, and, and. And, but why is it, and I said that before, that the measles vaccine is 95%. That Why is it that a vaccine is not, a hundred percent effective. So uh, probably for the same reason that getting flu or getting COVID once doesn't mean you're not going to get it next year. Um, so our bodies don't always respond in the perfect way. Um, so that's part of the reason. And some vaccines, depending on the type of vaccine, so some vaccines are more um, more effective than others. Um, so it depends on the type of vaccine that's used, um, it depends which vaccine it is, it depends on the body's immune response, um, and the, the immune response needs to respond to the vaccine. So if I think of three factors probably that we could highlight, the one is, um, is the vaccine effective against the circulating strain? And here our Department of Health and Center for Disease Control monitors all of that very carefully. Um, uh, the immune system has to respond and then the vaccine should obviously be stored safely. And again, in South Africa, we've got very good monitoring systems um, that make sure that these processes are followed. Um, so those three factors would have a um, an impact on the effectiveness. Um, and then, of course, some vaccines require boosters in order to give you a more long-term uh, effect, a more long-term immunity. Yeah. 
No, I mean, the boosters and all those things, I mean, lots of those, like I said, I just took my daughter last year or something, or maybe the, it was the year before, um, also for some booster that she had to get at seven, eight years. And um, it is important for those type of things. But when do we get to, and I remember this now from COVID time, what is herd immunity? Sure, so it's not a very nice word. <laughs> like I thought by now with all the advanced technology that we have, we'd have actually a nice description <laughs> for herd immunity. I actually came out with two, two descriptions. I think we should call it community immunity mm. or neighborly That's, care. I, <laughs> community immunity I like more. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I'm actually going to explain it in terms of two suburbs. So uh the suburb that I live in and then the suburb that's across the highway. And so there's two families in each suburb that has a family member. The one family member's got HIV and isn't on medication. One family member's got an um, a immune deficiency uh, impairment. And then in both those communities, there's families who have people that are on chemotherapy with depressed immune systems. Now, one of the communities is well-vaccinated and the other community is there's pockets of families that choose not to vaccinate. When an organism enters a community, it will follow the path of least resistance. So it will replicate the most where there is the least protection against it. So the, the community where there's the least vaccine cover and immunity in individuals, it will cause infection the most. And that means it actually makes it more dangerous for those families with uh, family members who have immune impaired family members to be in those communities. It's safer for them to be in communities that are well vaccinated because the measure of vaccination around us actually is protective for us. Uh, so there's a little bubble around absolutely. you. And it's not, it's obviously not foolproof. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be any infections in that community, but the, the rate of infection and the severity statistically is less when the immune protection or the, the vaccine rate in that community is high. And so that in, I mean, obviously in COVID, that's where we were headed, um, intended to head with vaccines, mm. but, um, but with uh, childhood vaccines, that's what we'd ideally like is, yeah. is to vaccine as many, vaccinate as many families as possible so that it protects those who can't be vaccinated or who have been vaccinated, but their body's just not functioning yeah. the way it should. Yeah, and getting older, or like you said, if you've got HIV or anything like that, it makes your immunity less, so you need to take care. Um, But as we're now getting, because now we're again looking at the bigger picture, and we're talking here to you out there, Um, and I want to help you as well when you're taking your baby now to get vaccinated. I know there are some of the vaccines who cause some more than others that can cause a bit more of a reaction. What are some, you mentioned fever earlier, but what are, what are some of the vaccines that can cause a little bit more reaction and what are these reactions? So like we said, the most, most common reaction is irritability. Um, and that's legit. So that's it's, lots it's, of people in the world might have just had a vaccine. Yes. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> or when your kids are having a fight, you want to ask them, have you just been vaccinated? But anyway, so that is the most common. And then fevers. Uh, they obviously, and uh, there's a painful injection sites. So the arm can be quite painful for a few days. 
Um, and then the arm and the leg can swell a little bit. There can be uh, inflammation of the actual site itself. For example, with a BCG, so the TB vaccine that's given at birth, a, a few weeks or even a few months later, it can develop a little abscess. And we don't, we don't engage with that abscess unless it becomes more than a five rand size. No. Okay. So we, you leave it alone. Um, if you are concerned, you can ask your clinic nurse or your GP, but we, we leave it. And no. so all of those reactions again is a reminder that the body's responding. You can get what's called febrile seizures. So those are seizures that originate from severely high temperatures in babies and toddlers. From a research point of view, the outcome after febrile seizures is is good. So it can be extremely scary and traumatic, especially as a parent, but those babies and toddlers are fine afterwards. So we don't want to ignore it, and you need to get your little one checked out if that is the case, or if you can't manage the um, fever, it's going above 39 and you can't bring it down. Um, you can take your little one to the GP or um, to casualty or the clinic nurse. And then very occasionally, there's a risk of anaphylaxis. So anaphylaxis is uh, swelling of the respiratory tract, uh, breathing problems, and the extreme of that is not breathing at all. And the incidence of that is 1.31 per million vaccine doses. Oh, okay, that's okay. Now, again, it is small, but again, we look at anything, yeah, but that one could be my baby. But compare that or put it on the scale of balances of all the potential risks of exposure to the disease. And then that, that side of the scale would tip way more heavily. So we don't want to ignore that. We don't want to undermine it. But um, it is it is a risk that weighs lighter than at the actual risk a of getting easy that pro and con list exactly. type of thing of like what's the benefits, what's the nastiness, and exactly. And then some babies will get a bit of a rash. Some babies will get a bit of a runny tummy. For example, with rotavirus, um, important to wash your hands with changing nappies afterwards. Um, but again, all of that is reminders that the body is responding. Hmm. Um, but if you are concerned about your baby's response that it's out of the normal parameters, then ask your GP or pediatrician to check him or her out. I, I'm, we are solidly running out of time, but there's one little question that I'm going to ask just now. So stay tuned. <laughs> this is Bump and Beyond with Yolandi Becker, the show about pregnancy and babies. 101.9 megahertz of life. And just like that, we've run out of time today. But before Anshan goes, because she's here, I have to get in all the questions. There's one last question I did want to ask you. And it's the fact that a while ago already with the measles vaccine, some stupid guy broadcasts that uh, it can cause autism. Is that real or not? <laughs> you have to be careful what you say about the guy. You might get a deformation. I didn't name, name him. <laughs> I was going to name him. No problem. Um, but anyway, uh, first to say, vaccines don't cause autism. And sadly enough, the, the research that supported the link was more than 20 years ago, and it was carried out by a re researcher whose name I can't name now. <laughs> um, 
And But the challenging thing of that research is that it was funded by a group of lawyers that were trying to bring a case against the pharmaceutical company. But this conflict of interest was not disclosed in their research. So that already actually discredits the research before we've gone a little bit further. And then the study only consisted of 20, uh, 20 or fewer individuals. So that's a very, very small study. And um, multiple studies have disproven its theory. And actually, the, the lead um, researcher in that study actually lost his license to practice. So autism is not caused by the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. And in fact, the government list in South Africa, the Department of Health list, separates those out now anyway. Uh, the private list, it is still combined. But autism doesn't cause MMR. I mean, <laughs> MMR is, it doesn't lead to autism. Uh, just like diet doesn't cause autism or poor parenting. Um, and so, and they, and there's multiple other studies that have showed an increased, uh, you know, factors that increase the risk of autism, but, um, vaccines is not one of those. Well, so there we have it. Thank you, Anshan. It has been absolutely fantastic um, to have you today. And I think we've all learned a lot. If you've missed our show today or any of our previous shows, remember you can go listen to them, um, the podcasts on highfm.com. Vaccine, vaccines are the most cost-effective healthy care interventions there are. A dollar spent on a childhood vaccination not only helps save a life, but greatly reduces spending on future health care. So be smart, vaccinate. Join me next week as I speak to Dr. Jakumin Miller about her study on the impact of sleep interventions on parents and how to emotionally support ourselves as parents. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that because... I have mentioned one of my favorite words, sleep. So join me next week. The world is changed by our example, but not by our opinion. Let's lead by example for our children. Thank you for joining me today. Until next time, enjoy your day.